0: the incomparable number 600 february
2: 2022. welcome back everybody to the incomparable i am your host jason snell and in this episode we're going to break out the old book club that's right we're going to read books that might get nominated for awards later we don't know but we're reading them anyway which i know is weird because so many of our book club episodes these days are things that are on short lists for awards and things but we thought maybe it would be nice to just talk about some books that we read and I think liked. So we are going to talk about two books. We're going to talk about The Witness for the Dead by Catherine Addison. It is in the same universe as The Goblin Emperor, which we also loved many years ago, but is not a uh, a sequel quite. Uh, You could read it without having read that one. And we're also going to talk about A Desolation Called Peace, which is a sequel to a book you really should have read or it will make no sense. So... Uh, but to one of my favorite books of the last few years, so uh, a memory called Empire. Uh, anyway, joining me on the book club tonight are the following wonderful people, um, and Glenn Fleischman. Glenn Fleischman is here. Hello. <laughs> wow, just starting out
0: hot. Starting out hot. Hello, Jason.
2: Glenn, I mean, starting out. You were in episode one, so I think the, the still foundation I'm has been still laid, here. and you're still I'm yeah, still you're here. still here. Still I mean, that nothing has worked yet. So <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Keep trying.
1: <laughs> Scott nice
0: Happy to be here.
3: Scott McNulty is also here, also from episode one.
0: <gasps>
3: That's right. Unassigned reading is exciting. Uh, so I didn't have to read these books, but I did. But you did. And now I'm going to talk about I them. I appreciate that. I don't remember them, but uh, I'll pretend.
2: One of my goals. Yeah, it goes without saying that you don't remember what happened in them. But we'll, we'll see if we can jog your, your memory or or create a facsimile of you remembering. Ooh.
4: Also from episode one, it's Dan Morin. Ah, oh, from episode one, Jason. You want to feel old? All these people were on episode one. It was a really long time ago.
2: <laughs> it's true. It was very long ago. Now Erica Ensign was not on episode one. We found her mm-hmm. much later on, but it feels like she's been here forever. Hi.
5: Hi. I, it does feel like I've been here for a very long time, but not that long. So I'm less old. That's how that works.
3: Wow. It's just math. Cool. That's oh. right. That's oh, right. As you, old as you, geezers.
2: You, by the time you joined, Glenn had created like five more ways to make weird noises on his podcast tracks. Exactly. So exactly. that's true. That mm-hmm. you missed out on the original it's an evolving art form. Unfiltered <laughs> Glenn, believe it or not,
0: even twenty coming
2: up. We process Glenn's audio a lot, is what I'm saying. So you know, mm-hmm. you Jason,
5: did... I like the way that you described these books in terms of being a sequel of a thing that you should have read in a a book that came after something you didn't need to read. And I did it backwards. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) I did. Yeah. I, uh, I dove into a desolation called peace, not having reread, um, uh,
2: Memory called, a Empire. memory called
5: Empire. Uh, in a long time. Like I had just read it the one time and it was a little rough sledding for a while, but I just kept going and then uh, and finished it and loved it. Thus, I'm here. Uh, and then I started The Witness for the Dead, which you really don't need to no. have even read The Goblin Empire for. And nope. yet about three pages in, I was like, boy, I just don't remember how this world works. I need to go back. So I reread <laughs> The Goblin Emperor before I read The Witness for the Dead. So I have I have done it backwards and I admit it.
2: The Goblin Emperor um, was a lot longer ago, though, right? So it,
5: it was. That's true. And it. I feel like it's a faster read in terms of being able to zip through it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so uh, let's start with The Witness for the Dead, because, again, it's a book that you don't have to have done the reading <laughs> before. <laughs> you, you might want to, <laughs> but you wouldn't have to do the pre-reading of The Goblin Emperor. I remember when The Goblin Emperor came out. That Catherine Addison, who is actually Sarah Monette, right, mm-hmm. Erica? But this yes, is her, that's correct. This is her. Uh, this is a, a pen name. Um, that that she said the Goblin Emperor was a standalone novel, and that at some point she she made a declaration that she was not planning any sequels to the Goblin Emperor. Mm-hmm. Um, but a funny thing happened, uh, which is, and that was that book came out in twenty fourteen, got nominated for a lot of awards. I loved it. It was great. Mm In 2021, Witness for the Dead comes out, and (laughs) it is about a character who appears in Goblin Emperor and set in parts of the kind of far-off parts of the world of the Goblin Emperor, which is this, we should say, for people who haven't read The Goblin Emperor, it's a fantasy world, but it's kind of... I mean, Erica. Should I call it steampunky?
5: Oh, I I knew you were going to go there, and (laughs) and there's steam. I I don't think there are
2: any punks.
0: Are there punks? There are no punks. (laughs) It's not steampunky because it's realistic technology. Are there zeppelins?
5: Yes, there are zeppelins. They have Uh, have technology that
0: makes sense. It's actual, practical technology. It's not fetish technology. You know what steampunk.
5: I, I, I will, I will cop right off the bat to not really loving this book as much as I, I wanted to, and it actually has a lot more steampunky elements than the Goblin Emperor. Oh uh, yeah, does. so there's, I feel there, like there, maybe that's part of why
2: there's a whole like steam factory where they're working <laughs> like, on like trains steam. and steam things. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's I true. Like trains, it's true. So it's true. So it it's, a, it's a fantasy world. My point is, it's a fantasy world, but. You know, it is more steampunky than it is high fantasy, I think would be fair to say. Um, yeah. And and there is, you know, the the goblin emperor, the idea here that this is a world with elves and goblins and um, and and there's magic but it's magic of a different kind of sort i guess and and it's it's got urban areas and i don't know it doesn't feel like another riff on tolkien it's different and that's the that's a thing i liked about the goblin emperor and it continues here in witness for the dead where it's set in that world but one of the things that i i found delightful in witness for the dead is that it's kind of a detective novel <laughs>
4: It's definitely a detective <laughs> novel, and,
2: and well, I was going to call it a mystery, but it's not quite that because yeah. what what happens is there is a core mystery, um, but at various points the main character is told you must leave town. To conduct an investigation of a different mystery, yes, and they're like, oh, yes. okay, fine, and they go and and do that. And so I thought I think that's really uh, I like the mixing of genres. And our main character is the witness for the dead. Um, their power is to be able to get a read on a on a dead body, essentially, and know something about their thoughts or memories or other things from uh the impressions of them after they have died and and therefore it's kind of a calling and whenever somebody dies they really do need to you know be of service and it ends up being that they become kind of like a a detective but it's from a different angle it's almost you know it is essentially like a religious calling to be the witness for the dead Dan you said definitely a mystery novel. So
4: yeah, it is definitely a mystery novel. like you said, it doesn't quite have the trapping like it has the trappings but not quite the substance of your traditional mystery novel. Uh, I was just mentioned you know talking to my wife about this because she read it quite recently and she said it's kind of like fantasy noir and I was like, yeah, it definitely has that that aspect yep. to it a little bit of like you know, the detective who keeps kind of getting in a little bit over their head. Uh, and like having to sort of solve all these things, and sometimes there are like intertwinings between some of what's going on, or larger implications in terms of what's going on. Uh, and they're they're not exactly. I mean, the protagonist isn't exactly like a reluctant detective, they, but there is an element mm-hmm. of reluctance about him. So well, it's yeah. he's he's kind of been exiled. And right. and
2: and there's because of awkward things that are that happen that are in the Goblin Emperor, actually. And so they are yeah, not not really kind of in a great happy place. And I think that gives it gives the mm. the main character kind of a noirish detective he's, feel.
5: He's reluctant. he's not reluctant to do his job. He's totally fine with his calling at this point. He's reluctant to interact with people, mm. I think right. is the way yes. that works. It's
0: <laughs> yeah. There's kind of this interesting split. It's actually a little uh, remind me a little of the uh Simonon uh, mysteries because of the French police system. so there's like this police judiciaire sort of thing. so he's kind of like an investigator, like an inspector, little Columbo like sort of rumbles around mm-hmm. and looks at things, but he's not out there like on a beat. you know the vigilant brotherhood are the cops, right? They're like out on the beat, kind of, oh well, when you need us, call us in and then we'll arrest the guy kind of thing. and he's not really a um a judge, right? He's a whole judicial system that's described. so he has this unique we kind of like. I mean, we collectively as American Canadian society, maybe we kind of like a detective who is distant from the, uh, helpfulness mechanisms of, um, the legal system or the uh, police legal system so that they go off on their own. They have hunches, they're following these improbable paths and they come to a truth that can't be accomplished by sort of really rigid, straight walking, uh, uh, research right he has to go down all these blind alleys and he's taken off because of political considerations you're off the case MacGyver. <laughs> you know it's like right. you're off the yeah. case we're gonna send you to this dangerous place that you have to survive an ordeal because you're telling the truth you know, yeah. he's a truth teller and he's incapable of not telling the truth and, be- and i think that fits that detective the lone detective model we like the brutal Two, honesty, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We'd rather be
2: talking. I, I think the line is that rather be talking to the dead people than to the, the live <laughs> yes. people. Yeah, and there's there's a truth in that. I, I, um, the wandering aspect of it, I really love that. I, I like it's it's like to come back to like I think you're right, Glenn, about you know not a cop quite and not a not a judge, but kind of in the middle. Also, there's this idea. That is like uh, 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 somebody who's juggling a bunch of assignments that I think is so novel and I thought fun. Where sometimes they're yeah, uh, he set off to go <laughs> stay the night in the old graveyard, and if you survive, <laughs>
0: exactly. we'll oh know God. that you're
2: okay. And 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 of course because uh, it's a witness from the for the dead, you know he sees he sees like ghosts and stuff, but manages <laughs> to survive that. But also the thing of like oh yeah, there's some like uh, um attacks out in the countryside and it might be a supernatural monster so we're going to send cool. you out in the countryside he's like right, but right. i'm solving a crime and he's like go get out you got to get out of town there's politics going on get out yeah. he's like all right i guess and then and it, rather than it just being a plot point of like you've ruffled feathers in town they're very rich people who are very upset that you're nosing into their business but uh but it, that all we really do is send them off for a minute it's like no the stuff out in the countryside is really interesting where there's Like, uh, I I forget what the monsters are, but they're basically, they're ghouls, right? So it's like, Mm -hmm. if you, they can, they can create more undead if they aren't stopped, they're very dangerous. And if they get in a graveyard, like they can turn more undead. So it's a, it's actually a very serious uh, thing out there, but it's also just a huge shifting of gears in the story. And I. I don't. I, I can see that some people will be like, "Come on, get back to the main story." But I just kind of love the, <laughs> that the book just takes a left turn and just goes, "Nope, we're doing this for a well, while now."
0: I loved it, Jason. You might remember back when I read this book, I put a query out into a Slack group and said, "I I don't quite get this book." It came out months ago. <laughs> I was like, "I feel like I'm missing something." I really, I love. I really do love uh, Catherine slash Sarah's writing. I think it's it uh, just fills me with this sort of place sense and everything's very inhabited and I just love reading it so it doesn't have to go anywhere for me for me to enjoy it but I felt like I'm missing something it felt very picaresque like this thing happens to uh, Kellehar and then he goes here and here and then he goes to the the <laughs> the uh, haunted war mountain and, and and so forth the ghouls and you're like this is, kind of feels like a set of is there like a giant you know big boss battle coming and then the thing kind of ended and I was like what just happened but you know you said no I thought it's pretty Good. A couple of people. Went, no, this is really good. So I reread it for the podcast, and I'm glad I did because I was not in the right mode when I read it last. Or maybe um, I'll, I'll bring this up early. The the long names get to me sometimes. <laughs> the the yeah. I I realized reading this, and also the uh, Arcady uh, Martin books, uh, the Desolation Called Peace and uh, um, Memory Called Empire, Empire <laughs> that uh, I sub-vocalize in a very interesting way, which I didn't know. I read quite rapidly, but when I hit Words that are 23 letters or longer. Yeah. Um, I have stuff mm-hmm. close. Anyway, but when I reread it, 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 I felt the picaresque part went away and I picked up the whole thread of the novel. I also think I read a preview chapter that Amazon had released of The Witness for the Dead. Then I read the novel, you know, some weeks later. I may either have missed some or maybe there was something missing from the preview chapter because when I reread it, I'm like, I don't remember these facts at all. This uh, totally changes my understanding of the rest of the book. So. All right.
5: I wonder if I ran into some of the same, the same issues with that because, I mean, part of the reason that I stopped so swiftly and went back and reread The Goblin Emperor yeah. is because I was having trouble with uh with the not just long words but just the the language and you know mm. the way you know they have different it's not mr and mrs and ms there are all kinds of different titles for people depending on whether they are you know m- male or female or not or married or Dukes, like all kinds of dupes, stuff,
0: barons. Yeah, yeah, and
5: I had I, I, I like I was kind of struggling with that, and unfortunately, rereading the Goblin Empire Emperor didn't help all that much because I <laughs> felt like there was there was a lot more of it in this book, and I appreciated the like the the attention to detail and the world building, and you know the fact that you know he goes off into the country and you learn a whole bunch about how the reason that it's so important in this world to have uh really thick slabs of stone over people's graves is because if you don't, their bodies can rise up and become ghouls yeah. and that's a bad thing and you have to make sure that the cemeteries are all tended very well and like you know all that kind of stuff was yeah. was interesting but I, I maybe I wasn't in the right reading mode and maybe I was just Off put just enough by by trying to follow the the language and the politics that it just it didn't grip me. But I also am the kind of person who much prefers a point A to point B to point C Mm -hmm. type novel as opposed to something that's a little bit more you know anthologized within within one story.
4: It makes me think in the way we're talking about it now and all the sort of disparate things that happen in this book. I you know sort of draw a line between this and some of Becky Chambers' work with her. Mm -hmm. Same thought and, and. I mean, it's a different story. This hangs, I think, a little bit more together. I actually think there is there is more of a through-line plot in this than in the, some of those books. This is more like <laughs> a
2: pres- modern prestige drama where there's a very strong story arc, but yeah. still some episodic yeah. stuff, whereas uh, some of Becky Chambers' books are like a season of Star Trek The Next Generation or something, yeah, where like, they're like- Here, they're Here's all, the story. Here's another story. Yeah. This is, this is like, there's the main plot, like carries through to the end, and everything's connected, but yeah, it still is comfortable enough to go away for an episode into the countryside- <laughs> it's fascinating
4: too in a book that is this short it's not a long book right like it's only a couple hundred pages and that is um you know it feels like in some ways maybe it's a like a like a blown up novella in some ways with like a bunch of little short stories put in it which is a fascinating structure and i didn't dislike it for being that i thought it was interesting and it had i liked that aspect of it that you're describing with the sort of like let's investigate different parts of this world let's do these cases they may or may not have any bearing on one another. Uh, But they're all sort of related through this central protagonist. Um, And we just get to see all the different aspects of his job.
0: It's rare to read. No, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say it's rare to read something. that's this meditative... With uh, but that's not right. You, I mean, there's a lot of detective novels that are quite meditative, but there's usually a lot of action, right? People are being shot, people being thrown out of doors and then somebody meditates on life and death. And, you know, there's kind of this mix in the ones that are most contemplative that there's a lot going on and there are strings being pulled. And in this, there's a lot, I want to say a lot less going on. I mean, you know, not, this is not spoilery yet, but like there's, there's explosions and attempted killings and all kinds of stuff happen, you know, and, and poisonings all kinds of stuff going on but it's almost off stage ish from our main character wow. he's he's so insulated from it and I, I mean i guess that's the point too is he, that um he comes they, in when the bodies uh, are already dead <laughs> yeah and but the other thing is uh, this is true i think of the of uh, the Martin novel as well is um this book, when I, am reading it the second time, so I went back and read Goblin Empire after reading Witness for the Dead the second time, this is how committed I am, and really enjoyed Goblin Empire. I'd forgotten a chunk of plot points. I remember the main point, and I didn't remember uh, the witness so much in it his role but um this feels a little bit like half of a i mean there's another part coming right she's already announced the sequel to witness for the dead that's going to be an actual sequel so the same thing with we'll talk about the other book but it feels a little bit like it's we're not in the middle of the story but a big arc was completed but i felt like i mean i think dan's right it's not really a novella but it's kind of like a bigger thing is about to happen, and we're not—we're not really in the middle. She didn't cut it in half, but there's something a little missing. Even though, again, I really—I—I I enjoyed it reading the second time. I enjoyed it more, and you know, I—I I will read anything she writes because she's a wonderful writer. So <laughs> maybe hard to I argue need, with that.
5: Maybe I do need to read it again. Actually, I had a rather interesting <laughs> experience in that I—I uh, I think I finished this two or three weeks ago, and. Two days ago, when I was thinking about doing this podcast, I had like picked up my Kobo and I think it said like 67% read or something. Sometimes I, I jump around after I have finished the book or there's some some text afterwards. So it shows that it's not done. And I was like, oh, crap did I not finish this book? And I literally sat there for a good three minutes straight thinking, what happened at the end of this book? Did I finish it? Did I actually finish it? And I had gotten it from the library, so I couldn't just flip to the end and oh check it. Gosh. And I, I genuinely completely forgot what happened at the end of the book. I eventually realized, okay, yes, I remember finishing the book and I remember thinking, oh, that's it. Uh, so I remember that reaction, but I could not tell you what actually happens uh, at the very end of the book because I just remember my feeling of being like, oh, so I, you know, maybe when there's more after this, I will be more inclined to to try it again.
0: That's just how I felt after reading it the first time. I felt like I missed something because the book just ended. This ended. The second time I was like, I don't know, I think I read it really fast the second time. I read it in kind of a a flurry, or like a a flurry, and um, and then I ha- it hit me a, m- a lot stronger. I don't know if it's a recommendation for a book that says, "Well, you should really read it two or three times." Uh-huh. But,
5: but <laughs> well, it's only two hundred forty pages. I read
2: it on a beach in Hawaii, and I loved it. Yeah. And I just uh-huh. right through it because I was having a great go. time, and it was yeah. it was good. And also, good just made. hit the spot like it, as yeah. a fun uh, mystery, fantasy, mystery detective story, and also I think there's something about I think we all like it to all like to think that uh when we when we watch a tv show about cops or or detectives or whatever i think there's something about wanting to think that there's a force out there that is committed to mm. to be the witness for the dead to to make sure that justice is done and that the truth comes out and i think that th- this book taps into that in a in an interesting way in making uh, our main character have a, a, essentially a religious devotion to it that, that this is a, a, a task that cannot be refused it must be completed and and that's the kind of detective you really want right the one who in addition right to the magical <laughs> powers that can speak for the dead also it's basically this is not just their job but essentially their life's calling is to make sure that the truth comes out about all of these things no matter no matter what happens in terms of wealthy powerful people being upset by it
0: name of the name of the rose sort of i mean not really but yep, you know same you know, thing that's, maybe a little. that's
2: in the that's in the
5: ballpark, yeah and the witness for the dead is not the only kind of like there's a specific type of witness so there's mm-hmm. like he's one that's a witness for the dead but they also have somebody who's like you know the an airship explodes and there's a witness for the airship itself. Mm-hmm. So it's I, I really like that touch of the society that they actually have somebody speaking for, you know, different things that have no voices, mm-hmm. which is basically the the whole mm-hmm. idea behind that. Let's, and I, I really found that fascinating. Not forget the
4: witness for the prosecution.
5: <laughs> I could never. <laughs>
2: uh, th- there's that moment because, again, it's a magical thing to be able to see what happened to somebody when they died. And he gets called to the wealthy family and mm-hmm. oh, the yeah. well the patriarch has died and there's a contested will of like who which son is going to be the one who inherits everything and the, and there's like a, a a fake will or they insist it's a real will and all of that and they're like we're, we're going to talk to the witness for the dead and, and find out and they're like we want you to read him and very specific, specifically tell us who he wanted his fortune to go to and our main character tells the truth finds out the answer and tells the truth. And it is a world of trouble, right? It is It is very much like a detective learning something that is a dangerous piece of information. And, and because all, you, you have to take the witness for the dead on faith, essentially, that mm-hmm. they're telling the truth. And so people don't. They just don't. They're like, no, you're lying. You're obviously a liar. And it causes a lot of trouble for this character. But I kind of love the idea that it doesn't really matter. The character is going to do what he's going to do. And, and that this is the truth of what that person was thinking when they were dying about who they were going to give their fortune to.
0: Oh, yeah. And some people in his order or sort of related to his order don't even believe that witnesses for the dead. Can oh, yeah. He's on the outs. That's the out other bed. thing is he is an outsider,
2: yeah. like the, the the management and the, <laughs> like hate him <laughs>
0: <laughs> he keeps he keeps showing up. They, how many scenes are there in the book? This is not a spoiler also. How many scenes are in the book where he's covered in mud or something terrible <laughs> has happened to him and he's called in front of the prince or the, yep. you know, the not the arch prelate, but whoever you know, the top very religious authority is like constantly being hauled in front of people. He's like, I am dressed inappropriately. I'm covered in, law, in moss and dirt. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Kind of I charming. mean,
5: I I am kind of I I, I know I sound very down on this book, and I didn't I didn't dislike it. I think it's definitely worth reading. You know, especially if you enjoyed the the Goblin Emperor, but don't go in expecting something that's that's super similar. Actually, one big difference. I had remembered the Goblin Emperor. I had remembered it as being told in first person, and it's not. Yeah, it's just yeah. third person from the perspective of Maya, the character in that book. This book is actually first person, and I think that was one of the things that didn't work. For for me quite so well, simply because this is a character who, as we've talked about, like would sort of rather be communing with the dead than talking with actually people. And it's, it's very just sort of uncomfortable with himself and his own personal history. And he's got a lot of issues and trauma and stuff that he's dealing with. And I feel like you know, a, a first person that's told well, and this is told well, really kind of puts you in the head of that character. And this was not a head that I wanted to be <laughs> in at this point in my life. so. Scott, yeah. you read
2: a lot of science fiction and fantasy, but also a lot of other things, including, I think, mysteries. What did you think of this one?
3: Uh, well, it was uh, enjoyable to listen to you talk about it because I vaguely remember the things that happened in this book, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I've been quiet, because I don't really remember much of anything. I have no idea what happens at the end of this book. Uh I, I have read it. I, I promise you, I have read it. Uh, There's and I a showdown at
2: the... at the Zeppelin factory, and... Um, yeah, <laughs>
3: Are you only it assigning us books that have goggles on? Yes. That's <laughs> been my secret for 600 plus episodes. <laughs> but when I was rereading uh, the Wikipedia entry, because I don't reread books, uh, <laughs> the uh, I was surprised and people have already said this, but just how much stuff is stuffed in this 240 page book. Um, it's just there's a lot going on uh, and it doesn't feel like there's a lot going on, which is kind of a weird um juxtaposition right it feels uh so many uh detective stories or mysteries there's a central mystery that the character is propelled through the plot to solve right they're very plot driven um with kind of strong characters uh so you identify with the main character the Columbo, whoever and there's a plot there's a bad person that needs to be punished or you know the detective is a complicated person and maybe they're complicit or something like that uh and this book, I feel like it 's more of a meditation on the the character themselves than what they 're doing mm. um, and so, like Glenn said, most of the exciting things feel like they happen. Off stage and we are seeing it through, you know, he shows up when everyone has been killed and he's like, (laughs) "Okay, I'll talk to their corpses and see what I can find out Uh, and then moves on and then goes, you know, to a hill and talks to ghosts Mm -hmm. and kills some undead people. And then, uh, you know, a zeppelin (laughs) blows up, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he solves three mysteries, and that's
0: it.
5: I will say that the part that I liked the best was the part that I found the most vibrant. Uh, I think Scott, like saying that, it is a meditation. Is like that. I think describes the book overall very well. And the bits that I like the best were the least meditative. And that's a uh, so there's a character that he meets in the course of uh, he so he's examining or he's investigating the murder of a woman who turns out to have been an opera singer. And when he goes to the the opera house, the guy who is sort of like the director and a uh, composer who's in charge is this just very <laughs> <He's> colorful, <great. laughs> big personality. And I just I just love that character. And like there's a bit of a flirt happening and i'm just shipping these two characters mm, as hard yeah, as i possibly yeah. can and the book just is still intent on being a slow meditative yes. thing and he has to go take a trip and and i think i was maybe a little bit frustrated by that because like i just wanted those two crazy kids to get together um so i will definitely be reading the next book to see I, I love the,
2: that the murder victim has been stealing um, oh, dresses, Out so yeah, yeah, many. That's right. From the and has a, like an extra large closet full of the stolen <laughs> dresses, and and our main character basically tells the, the the person who runs the opera like, yeah, you should send a person over there because uh,
5: with a, with a cart,
2: they, they got all. She's got all the dresses, so you yeah. You and everybody hated
5: her, so that you know that's an interesting bit of Good the mystery, the mystery thing, is right? is mm-hmm. that you know you you don't know who the the murderer is, and it could even be this. A wonderfully adorable character that I'm shipping our detective with because he also hated her and is not you know he makes no bones about it. So
4: right, but
2: it doesn't matter if even if she's awful because that's the job of our character is to uh, be her witness mm-hmm. and and once he finds out that she's murdered, like he's on the case, he's on the job, he can't yep not do it. I just I love that. I love that. again. It just it has those things like. Uh, People who listen to this podcast, and I think they get... Uh, we got feedback from our uh, episode where we did uh, the 2010s book draft, where people said one of our skills as a podcast collectively is saying enough about a book that people know whether they want to read it or not or know mm-hmm. whether they'll like it or not. And I feel like we've done a pretty good job of that with, with yeah. this book. Yeah. Um, uh, insanely I'm so glad to know we have skills. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, finally, after 10 years, mm-hmm. we figured it out. So I love this book because... I love I thought the mysteries it's not quite cozy, but it was like kind of like that. It was like a fun series of mysteries. And also because I love the protagonist because they're an outsider, but they have a calling and they have to do this thing. Like, I really love detectives who are broken people who are compelled to. To solve the mystery, even mm. if it affects them badly, right? Like I just I love that. That's such a great uh, kind of a story to tell, and this is what that story is. So I I, I liked it a lot. Um, I, and should I point g- out for yep.
0: people like tea? There's a lot of tea in this
2: book. Lo- oh, there's so much tea. <laughs> so mm. much tea. Mm. Somebody's many- <laughs> making me thirsty just thinking. So about much. It. Go. They're going to places and having ceremony, different kinds of tea, and there's details of what all the different made up fantasy teas are and stuff, which is yeah. Um, yeah, she had a lot of fun with that.
0: Uh, I can I read one sentence from the book because I think it might uh, show something about the names. Um, How long is the sentence? It's well, it's gonna take. It's got a lot of names in it. The other is uh, it's, it's half the book, Dan. This is uh, um, the other is. Um, I just wanted to look up. It's Pen Fenior is the uh, it's a great, or Pell Thenior, sorry, is the mm-hmm. is the uh, theatrical, the opera director who, mm-hmm. it, is, it is funny, he threatens to keep taking over the book, Erica, is what I'd suggest. <laughs> he shows up, everything livens up, and he's like, well, maybe I am the murderer. Oh, do you suspect me? Well, let us go flirt here, meet my mother. And you're like, wait a minute, uh-huh. hold on. And then he disappears for all. But so here's the sentences. See if I can get this right. It's, uh, Pel Fenior and Min Vadresharad came down from the catwalk stage piece, and Marilora and Min Vakresharad walked through the mov- movements of the overseer stalking Shoe across the stage and up the stairs. It would put Min Vakresharad in the right place to jump at the right time. I had problems with sentences like that. Yeah. So <laughs> that just to give it, people it, a it, it It's tough is to do uh, the, pronouns the, too. It is the,
2: the hardest th- thing about both of these books is that the proper names are it actually goes with um with the other book we're talking about where one of the issues is you have to process um interesting not commonly seen in english literature names and titles and it you gotta internalize it or you will not know who anyone is like because you'll be like which one is this who is this now it's it, and it's an interesting choice that adds a lot of flavor, but at the cost of of um understanding. Sometimes it's a great
0: challenge, but I don't know. It's hard to overcome. Uh, you know, it, I I cite uh, Anathem, where I felt like uh, Neil Stevenson's book, where I felt like the first time I read it, I sort of got it and kind of liked it. And the second time, I was like, oh, he's rewired my brain, yeah. and now I can read this book because I know all the words he made up. Right yeah it's a little did like this that. book
5: have a did this book have a glossary? I don't remember because I know the other one did uh,
0: this does not
5: and do by it. the other one, I mean a desolation cult. i,
0: I so. think the goblin emperor might uh have a very elaborate the goblin emperor i think has an
5: incredibly
0: lengthy uh description in fact, when I was rereading I was like, wait a minute, is the whole book <laughs> this um opening part uh, I'm trying to remember anyway there's there i witness for the dead did not have that right it did not have I, a uh... i
5: didn't think it did but oh yeah here we
0: go yeah if goblin emperor has like um i'm looking at like uh, you know, it seems like three dozen pages that are about pronunciation there are no right. silent letters in through mm-hmm. and and so forth so if you read that book you can understand how to say all the names in the witness for the dead I, I don't mean to be negative either it's like i don't i think it's great for authors to make choices like this where they're not trying to make it necessarily hard for the reader but it's a well-expressed thing and nobody really gives Tolkien a hard time for what he did um It's just maybe the names are more, I don't know, familiar to an English-speaking ear, so we don't give Tolkien the same kind of problem.
1: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
0: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
1: Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you.
0: I could stay here forever.
1: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
2: Let's talk about a desolation called Peace. This is the sequel, as we've said, to Memory Called Empire, one of my favorite books of a couple of years ago. Um, In this book, the... Ah uh, picks up kind of right where the first book <laughs> left off, where we've got our. Uh, so in the first book, our main character Mahit is is sent from her space station on the border of this empire to the the capital of the empire, and. Uh, because the ambassador there has died and the idea is you're loaded with the mind or the memories of the previous ambassador and so she is but there's a malfunction and she goes there and so she doesn't really know what that previous ambassador was doing because they hadn't come home in 10 years anyway so her the memories that she got were out of date and then there was a malfunction so she didn't have access to them so she has to stumble along and try to make friends in the middle of conflicts involving this empire and the imperial palace and all sorts of political stuff going on and she sort of sort of fumbles and stumbles and bumbles around until she gets some friends and makes some pretty dramatic decisions about what to do uh including um some kind of I don't know how to say outlaw brain surgery
5: (laughs) that happens. (laughs) Yeah, that's basically it, sure.
2: Little little unregulated brain surgery in order to try to solve the issues that are going on with the fact that she doesn't have access to the memory of the the guy that she's replacing. And um, and so she, she makes some allies and all of that. In doing all of this, she's kind of blown up her relationship with her home is really in question especially since she always kind of loved the empire and was a fan of their poetry and stuff like that and and in in a desolation called peace what's interesting is it picks up with her being recalled home and discovering that everybody's got it in for her back on the station and
5: it's not that she was recalled home she chose well, yeah. to come home so at the beginning of this book she's been home for about three months and has spent the entire time basically just wandering around and trying to reinsert herself into this society which she no longer really feels like she belongs in and during that the, the three months that sort of happened in between the the two books she doesn't go and like basically report, report in, in yeah. to yeah. anybody yeah. that yeah. she's supposed to yeah. because she feels so like she, she she doesn't know where she fits in and she does doesn't know which of those people is responsible for the malfunction that happened in the first right. book so there's a lot of like stuff going on in her head uh before this even starts
2: yeah yeah so it's it's uh it's fascinating because she's she she's an interesting character right because she's sort of the outsider who's brought inside but has been a fan of the inside all along and so it's this weird like you are not you are but you aren't to to both sides mm-hmm. right you're not she's never enough of of the Teshkalani to be uh, an official member of the empire they always say you're a, you're an alien essentially you're an outlander you're you're a hayseed you're never ever 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 going to fit in a barbarian right exactly but then back on the station is just like way too imperial and, you know, with airs and likes poetry and stuff. And plus the political of like that she was sabotaged on top of all of that. It's just I, lo- I really love, again, a little bit of an outsider character here. Kind of interesting. <laughs> I guess I kind of uh, I, I kind of enjoy that. Anyway, so that's going on. Meanwhile aliens are attacking the empire <laughs> aliens. weird aliens are attacking the empire which is causing all sorts of new political trouble this is just like the other book there's like there's like a new emperor it's actually kind of fun um they're both similar in that way uh you know this is like a space opera all the way uh aliens attack and they got to figure out how to deal with it and one thing leads to another and mahit's good good friend slash love interest three seagrass stopped on by the station and said, hey, I'm heading out to deal with these aliens you want to come along and at that point my heat's essentially like yes they are trying to kill me why don't you bring me with you <laughs> and off they go to try and see if they can communicate with an alien hive mind that doesn't seem to want to communicate with anyone just kill them and that is what uh, what uh desolation cold peace is all about
4: um how did i do <laughs>
0: Oh, That's you did good. great, oh, yeah. Jason. It's there's so also good. the whole subplot that I enjoyed
4: <laughs> with the replacement emperor who is trying to learn about. Oh, yeah. right, there's a like young clone. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Young clone. Shades of
2: foundation. Yeah, he's yeah.
4: sort of also being. I don't want to say quite like groomed, but like there's a you know there's a conflict over like people who are trying to both teach him and influence him,
2: uh-huh. kind of. Hmm.
4: Right cuz he hang, he's hanging out at like the the the
2: Admiralty basically like right. Ministry of
5: War. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: exactly. And they're like, "Oh, are yeah. you
4: supposed to be here?"
2: And he's like, "Well, <laughs> I'm I'm going to be the emperor, so I, I guess we got to let him anywhere. in." But they're like, "Do we do we disclose to him is he a spy or is he an opportunity?" And the answer is uh, yes. he could, yes. he's a spy yes. really actually, but yes, sure, it is an opportunity to, to be that. And that's also happening on. And they all have wacky names again cuz remember this mm-hmm. is the series that brought us 20 helicopters
0: I Uh, do love it. I do love (laughs) it.
5: And you know what? Weirdly, I had no problem with the the language in this book, even though I didn't go back and reread the first one in this series. It did take me a little while. Like, I I think I want to say it was like two or three chapters and I was struggling a little bit. And then at some point it just sort of clicked again. And my brain was just like rewired into the the way mm -hmm. it needed to be for this. And I just zipped through the rest of it without a pause.
4: It's funny. In my head, I suddenly thought it reminds me of when I studied psychology back in high school. And it was like the two different types of aphasia, Mm. which Mm. is like the aphasia where it's like you make... garbage no, like you make noises that are unintelligible and the aphasia where you have all the right words but you can't put them like yeah. you say things that are correct words like three seagrass that has no meaning when you put it together <laughs> yep.
2: 20 helicopter it's fine nine hibiscus eight antidote by the way is the name of the eight um, antidote yep yeah. i, I nice. like it's a good name
0: 19 ads who becomes, that's how you pronounce it, right? Ads? I can't think of it. It's like an axe, <laughs> ADC, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like she whose gracious presence illuminates the room like the edge shine of a knife. Did not have that mm-hmm. memorized, how to look it up. Uh, she's a wonderful character because I think, like, I I think there's a lack of viciousness at times in this novel about empire, um, which is an interesting way, you know, the the emperor, I, or how much spoilers are we gonna do in the previous yeah, book? sure. Well, so the emperor in the previous book commits kind of this ritual act and sacrifices himself in a really profound way to move the uh, society forward after he's essentially denied this weird not really form of immortality. It's not really immortality at all. It's like a weird echo. And that's a very, I mean, that's a great little rumination running through the first book about the nature of, uh, of sort of memory and self. And so that's, that's kind of neat. But so it ends with that and you have, you know, essentially a new emperor, 19 ads and uh, an antidote as the, as the, um, the you know, the other
2: plot right the, the Dauphin, meanwhile, Dauphin, right? meanwhile back waiting. at the uh, back at the empire capital <laughs> not out in the <laughs> frontier nineteen
0: yeah. but it's you know he's saying we've disc- I've managed to oversee you know eighty was it eighty years of peace and I want to have you know you know eight hundred years or something mm-hmm. and their definition of peace is we're we've subjugated everybody we yes. can yes. we yes. keep suppressing rebellions and we're expanding so for us that's Peace and and it's presented as kind of a matter of fact. It's as a tension in the book, like not absorbing that worldview. But eight, uh, 19 adds is even though you know she's was younger than the emperor just died by a, a substantial amount, and so she's now the you know the emperor, and she doesn't have. I mean, I guess this is the thing. There's like a a certain kind of viciousness I expect from emperor empire, and uh, the foundation series, just sort of side reference, I think does a wonderful job. Uh, in a way that I think I've rarely seen depicted on screen, of showing the kind of absolute ruthlessness you need to rule a, you know, galactic or a, a solar system spanning empire. These huge, sweeping, horrible gestures. And this book, I think, wrestles with that a bit. So, in in any other book, any other thing, 19 ads would have had eight antidote killed at various points, clearly. And in this one, not. It's education.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also got yeah. the impression that 19 ads was like, yep, yeah, she's the emperor, but that's not a thing that she was ever actually aiming yeah. for. She really, yeah. she genuinely loved the previous emperor and was very sad when he died. And I think is is will be happy to turn the empire over to uh, to eight Antidote again. when the time totally. comes. Totally,
4: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I I liked all the intrigue in the the court politics. That was one of my favorite parts of the first book as well. I just enjoy sort of the uh, you know layers upon layers of plots and all that stuff. And I I think it, it's well played out here as well. Uh, and I thought that the eight antidote makes an interesting character through which to see all of this. You know, given his state as both someone who is a clone. And is also kind of a kid yeah, uh, and sort of mm-hmm. dealing with that tension between those different parts of him as he tries to like understand both like what's going on and also try to figure out like, well, what do I take away from this that I need to do in the future? Mm-hmm. So all of that's really cool. And then we have the whole separate thing going on on the ship where we have the the, you know, the Admiral or whatever, who's been kind of like, like basically sent out there like isn't she essentially exiled, or like since to sort of be like well, get out of the way?
5: It depends on who you ask. Sen-
3: yes, yeah. because right, she's yeah. a really good admiral, and so the hope is that maybe she'll win. If she gets killed, then she won't she's overthrow the threat. empire. So right, okay. he'll be rid of her, We're, and it'll be okay. Okay. Everybody wins. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah. it's echoes. There's a in there famous roman thing where they send you know the romans would send their most ambitious generals out to the you know farthest part, points of the empire and then there was the whole crossing the rubicon thing when one comes back and and um i forgot that's not caesar julius caesar is it anyway but it's it's got real shades of that like mm-hmm. yes yes you yeah, did very well we shall be sending <laughs> you to londinium on uh, well, <laughs> you know, far that, far from here that
2: complexity and uh ambivalence in about a lot of this stuff I think is one of the reasons that I love these books because these books are in they're not like I'm going to write a book that that lays bare everything that's bad about kind of empires and how they they smash everything down and they it's not that it's more like I'm going to interrogate the idea and in fact yeah. I'm going to use space opera which is a genre about that that has become uh, in large part about empires <laughs> various mm-hmm. kinds as a way to to interrogate the idea of empires and how they work and what their effects are and it's not just about the people who are on the the fringe although it is about that and my heats space station is a great example of that but it's also about the people who have been like integrated into the empire but they're integrated in brutal ways because that's how they work like we flatten you and then you're in the empire great but also, like with the kid with eight antidote, you know, even if you're at the core of it, you're literally the next emperor, the clone of the previous emperor um the eight antidote has a lot to learn, and a lot of it is like, well, what have I internalized and eight antidote goes uh like astray from what he's supposed to do and like goes mm-hmm. off to where there's the like the the hollow fighter jet and talks his way in like to to, to the the communication relay and like he's learning all the parts of the empire which is it's really interesting because it's not Mm -hmm. just like the lies the emperor empire tells people but it's also the truth of what it is and like i love the richness and complexity of that the idea that it is not um it's not going to simplify it down it it Mm -hmm. has a very clear point of view about uh, and is very critical about empires it really is quite a quite a bit critical about it but it's doing it in a kind of it's complicated way and showing it from all sorts of these perspectives and it's something i loved about a memory called empire and it's something i love about this book too is that it's it's uh it's it's showing you all of the different ways that this complicated monstrous machine um can Mm -hmm. touch people
5: yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned him, uh, the Eight Antidote, and and how he sort of is learning and kind of goes his own way because that ties into what we were just talking about before in terms of uh, Admiral Nine Hibiscus, who when when Eight Antidote asks uh, the Emperor. Why Nine Hibiscus is out there? The Emperor is the one that said, you know, maybe Nine Hibiscus is is good enough to live through this. Whereas the, it's the people at the Ministry of War who are saying, oh no no, this is a political move. She Nine Hibiscus was sent out there to die because she's just too too powerful. So you're getting both both sides, and you know, there's everybody has their own thoughts about why. It, why she is where she is, and you you get to see little eight antidote try to internalize all of that and make his own decisions about these things. And then on the other hand, you have Mahit, who her her people were they, they have not yet quite been colonized by the empire because they still have their own you know supposedly separate space station, but their culture has been very heavily colonized because she spent her entire you know, young adult life growing up and, you know, basically posters of poets on the walls, I assume. (laughs) She's just really in in love with the uh, with the whole Teixcalaan empire. Uh, And she both does and does not want to be a part of it. And one of the big issues between her and Three Seagrass is that Three Seagrass sees her as a barbarian and she just feels, you know, brokenhearted every time this person that she cares about mentions her as a barbarian over and over and over again and it's oh it gets my heart
3: yeah i was going to bring up the character uh 20 cicada yeah who is kind of like i guess the the i don't know adjunct or something for the the admiral uh and how that is a, a great character in this book and kind of you know this book obviously is influenced by the Roman Empire, right? And what okay. what the Romans did was they constantly expanded and once they stopped, their empire collapsed. But part of their expansion was that they would you know, destroy your civilization, but then they would adapt, you know, adopt the pieces that they liked and let the local people kind of run the things and just send the taxes. We'll take your gods. Now you worship our gods. They're the same gods. (laughs) It's fine. Uh, And so you kind of, you, you assimilate into the empire Uh, and, and 20 cicada has assimilated to a certain point, but he is also, uh, a proponent, uh, or he has some kind of strange in there, strange to the rest of the empire um, religion, and he has these mm-hmm. tattoos that mark him as uh, kind of uh, uh, an other. But he's not a barbarian, but he's not fully right. uh, a member mm-hmm. of you know he's not a fully not yeah, well. Well, so. he
2: is he he is to put not to put too fine a point on it. He is the immigrant to America who hasn't completely melted into the melting pot because and he keeps parts of his existing culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and and so how are you of a place and yet not quite of a place that is where 20 cicada lives um yes. and, and until he, until he offers himself up to be joined to the alien hive mind
3: which happens it does and that gave me uh a big star trek 2 feels when uh spock sacrifices oh spoilers for star yep. trek 2 star trek II, yeah so spock dies in <gasps> the <laughs> end
5: <laughs> what
3: <laughs> and, the and he never comes back
2: he, he just not, dies nope, and is dead
5: dead forever,
0: forever. Uh, the, yeah, there's this interesting exploration too. Boy, this book has a lot in it, doesn't it? This, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, this is packed uh, tight for being a pretty quick read as well. Uh, although I think I would argue as with the other book, it's kind of a little half of a book. I think this is a little more noticeably ends at a... Middle point, but um,
2: it is is book two in a trilogy, and 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 yeah, it's definitely like, well, what's gonna happen? I mean, I feel it's self contained in the sense that the adventure with the aliens is is kind of addressed, but our main character at the end is sort of like, well, now what, right? So, So, what
0: comes next? But so, there's a meditation in there, or or, maybe not a meditation, but it's the notion of group consciousness, right? There's, and I don't think this is spoilery to say three, let's just say there's three different kinds that get explored, and the alien one is the one that comes out more early, but uh. It's it's a notion of like how does self get lost in a some kind of in groupthink uh, mm-hmm. the society well actually I mean four if you say the empire is a kind of groupthink oh yeah live, the station is a kind of groupthink oh yeah and then you have but then you have actual literal uh, science fiction almost like telepathic ish <laughs> groupthink that occurs too so you have every kind of different way of having people aligned uh i mean actually there's there's another one too right there's the the, we know this from the first book you've read that the sunlight the uh armed forces clearly have some kind of group mind so like everywhere you look there's a sort of group mind thing happening but it's somewhat different kind of one
2: yeah i think that's a great point that the um one of the themes here is definitely uh something that is larger than the sum of its individual elements and do you lose the individual elements when that happens? And so, being prompted by an alien hive mind, there is the that the, the parallelism <laughs> is very strong there, which is like this is kind of like being absorbed in the empire, right?
0: Like it's yeah, know, it, it is kind but of. And the it? empire, but the but empire's kind of got some. It is, I mean, it is one of the you know the biggest the sci- sci-fi tropes is that there's some kind of hive mind and it sucks you in and you lose your individuality and then you're like, oh, the hive mind is wonderful, and this ends without that sense of it.
2: Yeah, I was really happy. That it went, it went a more Star mm. Trekky kind of way yeah. almost where it's like they, Optimism. it's a problem to solve, which is like, we can figure this out. The aliens, like they're like, they're out on that hot, awful planet and they're like, oh, the aliens are back. All right. Maybe we'll, tr- maybe it'll work this time. And it, it works. <laughs> like they figure it out how to communicate and they're, and the aliens are like, oh, we didn't understand Right. But you are individuals we didn't get that it, 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 like I, I enjoyed that because i like was how does
5: that work yeah it <laughs> was, we don't was, understand it was
2: kind of fun and in the tone of of the both of these books i expected it would be more nihilistic and terrible these books are not nihilistic <laughs> but these books are dark and bad things happen at points and and at that point i thought like oh it's gonna be awful isn't it something terrible is gonna happen and it's I, like not really no in the middle of this book
0: i gotta say i'm i was totally loving the whole uh relationship between our you know our friends between um three seagrass and uh Mohit uh, and Mahit, um yeah and I it was great and you see it developing and there's a little of this you know uh, uh, will they won't they and what's going to happen and I'm like you know and honestly I don't usually think this I hope this won't make me seem curious I'm like there should be a sex scene in this book because come on like yeah. this is this is a book for adults it's not it's very complicated the two of them like I, I wonder if it's going to happen and then you're like oh my gosh okay well that was a they wanted so great, much okay. and then and then they
2: they, they get it so
0: and it was good yeah. I did yeah. not feel it was not an embarrassing Interesting sex scene. It was actually very romantic and it earned. Well it was done. really it was earned good. too yeah, it at was that great. point. That's great. Then they're embarrassed later, and I'm like, that's so much more realistic yep. that they're like <laughs> embarrassed about each other. And yeah. It's good.
2: Yeah, I you know, I love this, I love this series. I love how it is talking about lots of sort of big ideas and using the giant canvas of of space opera to do it. And you know, it, it's not it's not reinventing the wheel here. In fact, I see a lot of uh, echoes of the Ancillary series.
5: I was thinking the same thing. Yep. Right, mm-hmm. like
2: the Ancillary series ep- episode 1, Ancillary Justice, episode <laughs> 1 with the Roman numeral 1. Uh Ancillary Justice is uh is the your introduction introduction to this big empire and then episode 2, uh Ancillary Mercy is the one where they're on like deep space nine basically for the whole episode. (laughs) And this is, this is a little like that, except they're on the enterprise in part two, where it's like, now we're going to have an alien encounter on a spaceship and like, okay. And yet, um, it is, it is also its own thing with its own little quirks and its own things that it's trying to, trying to, uh, interrogate about our society through the lens of the of the space opera which which i love but like it's fun too it's a great read it's a great read and i found the
0: name that i couldn't find i found this in the index when we were talking about this before it's the greatest uh name ever created in the books It's 36 all-terrain tundra vehicle who is (laughs) who's a convert to the empire and this is the name he takes and they're like how gauche yes Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm
5: Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think that I mean, I I very much love the ancillary series, but I didn't find it as as funny as That's, I find these fun. Yeah, I agree. Fun. Mm, like there are, there are points where I genuinely like I laughed out loud at the thing that I was reading, and that doesn't happen super often. And it just has a bit of a a bit of a wry humor to it um threaded throughout. And there are like you said, there are definitely dark things happening and it is, you know, it's full of big ideas, but it's told you know, through the, the point of view, points of view of different enough characters that I just, I feel like it's grounded in a way, which is weird thing to say about space opera, uh, (laughs) but it's, it's grounded. And I feel like I am understanding it from the point of view of people with whom I can relate very, very clearly and very closely. And that made it a really fun experience for me to read through.
2: Look, Erica, we already established that planets are in space. So... (laughs) <laughs> Being grounded <laughs> is a thing that space opera can do. It's fine. Fair, We're I guess. Space. Yep. I I like that um at one point late in the book, after lots of effort, the jerk who is basically her enemy from her home space station mm-hmm. shows up. <laughs> And <laughs> it's like, oh, God, <laughs> now, why are you this here guy. now? And that's why we're, where we leave her at the end is is at the end of the book. It's sort of like, maybe you should just be in the Empire now. And she's like, hmm.
5: That doesn't sound right well, either. <laughs> they're
2: going to kill me back home, probably. So maybe. But that doesn't seem right. Right. I'm, but I'm not. Do I really want to be because I'm a barbarian um and she's left in the place for the third book presumably to deal with all of that but like that is that is uh good stuff because that's Mahit's whole story right yeah. is that well, she's neither fish nor fowl she she is an outsider dreaming of being on the inside but can't ever really be on the inside but by dreaming about it she's on the outside from her own people and then where is she and the answer is in space that's where she is just in floating space. in space
0: yeah. uh, I appreciated in the first book that there were all these uh, hints about the uh, hive mind like it was great how they were woven throughout it's kind of like oh there's a lurking terror and eventually you to have to deal with that yeah and then also in the first book though it ends without a resolution it's kind of hinted at mentioned a couple times in the second book the uh the beatball surgery she has done in her head is like <laughs> yeah. somebody on the home world has uh one of these you know memory cube or yeah. memory balls and like we know it's gonna come back so it's the you know we've got the uh, Chekhovs uh Chekhov's memory cube or whatever <laughs> is, is going to return.
5: And that's actually another really interesting bit of this book that I like so much, uh, more even than in the first book. Like, I- in the first book she has, you know, kind of a... Th- 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 a, a broken version, uh, at, for, through most of it of this this previous ambassador talking to her in her head, and now in this book she has still that broken version, but also the more recent version. So she's got like two right. two different versions of this other character talking to her, and then her own thoughts and trying to sort of integrate all of those things in a way that is supposed to work very smoothly, but because she was sabotaged, it's not working very smoothly. So. The 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 idea of having other people in your head, which, you know, we kind of talked about a little bit when talking about, like, you know, group group think and, and that sort of thing with the aliens. This is like a, a subtly different version of that. And just like there are shades and layers and it just oh, I just love this book and I want there to be another one right mm, now.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Any other thoughts about Desolation Called Peace? It was good. It's good. Good, good, bold good choice. Good bold, book.
4: bold, bold opinion.
2: Good book. Probably going to get nominated for an award. Guess what? We already read it. Ha. Oh, oh, take that. God. Head of that game.
0: Bzzz. <laughs>
2: Up the locusts
0: um i would just point out there's one other little fun thing that i liked in both books which is you know i i absolutely love this naming convention which i've never seen in any other book and it's done very <laughs> consistently amusingly uh and it's great and it's it's meaningful right it's not just kind of thrown at people there's there's a whole sort of iconography and so forth and um but it's the fact that everyone's nicknames are like kind of variations like um you know map uh, yeah. is uh was it nine cartography or something that nine cartography uh I forgot one of the kids' five cartography, and um, mm-hmm. uh, a three uh, three seed grass is called Reed by her close friend, yes. and then Mohit well, adopts that and uh, Swarm for uh, a twenty, 20 cicada. locust uh, tw- a cicada. Yeah. So anyway, it's just I just like that little like the pet nickname thing being derived, and, and it, like it felt very natural. The first time it showed up in the first book, I was like, "Oh, that totally makes sense. That's exactly how friends would talk to each other."
2: All right, let's move on to a little uh, final segment, which is uh, books that we've been reading that we liked lately. But I call it "What Are We Reading" because books that we are reading that we liked lately is a dumb name. So, what are we reading? Uh, Scott McNulty, what are you reading? What, are, what books have you liked lately that uh, you're reading or uh, that you
3: read that you're. What
2: are you? You know, what are you reading?
3: Books that saying. I have recently perhaps <laughs> read and kind of vaguely remember. Um,
2: Recommendations uh, for uh, books for people to read that are not the books that we already read. That uh, this hmm. title
5: just gets hmm. clunkier and clunkier. Again, and clunkier. Again what like are we? Just, I'm them. just
3: proving my point. What are we reading, Scott? <laughs> I don't what are know. We reading? What are we reading? Uh, <laughs> well, people by this point are probably sick and tired of me suggesting that they read KJ Parker. But uh, uh, <laughs> again, <laughs> I, I will uh, say that the, the final book in his uh, trilogy, the Siege Trilogy, which started with 16 Ways to Defend a Walled City, uh, is uh, something that I read recently. It's called A Practical Guide to Conquering the World, uh, and it features a character who lived in Uh, or who's from the city from the first book that I don't want to ruin what happened Ah. in the first book, but things happen. uh, This character is uh, impacted and then uses much uh, chicanery and knowledge to, uh, in a very unlikely series of events to kind of change the entire world. So uh, it's, it's, it's good. And it's, it's very of KJ Parker. And if you read KJ Parker, you know what that means. Speaking of another trilogy, uh, The Greenbone Saga uh, is a Fonda Lee's trilogy. Uh, oh, yeah. Jade Legacy was the final book in that series. I read it. It is a very long book that feels like like four books put together. As I was reading it, I was enjoying it, <laughs> but I kept thinking, is this the end of it? The- because this is, oh, no, this is not. So it covers like... The first two books in this series, I felt like, did not cover the same time span that this last book does, uh, but it's a really good ending to the trilogy, so if you like that book, uh, that trilogy, you should read the third one. Keep, I don't know. Keep reading it, yeah. I, <laughs> I read the first one of those, and I liked it, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I will round out my uh, trilogy session with a third book <laughs> that is not in a trilogy, uh, but it is the third of my trilogy of recently read books mm. uh, I see what i did there light from uncommon stars uh which is by a person whose name i will probably butcher uh rika i Aoki, maybe i apologize for to everyone but that uh, that yes. perhaps is their name uh it features a uh demonic violin teacher who uh (laughs) needs to repeat yourself yeah (laughs) needs to uh get her final soul to hell so that she can fulfill her contract uh and there's also uh some refugee aliens that are running a donut shop and these two uh things (laughs) Uh, and it's set in you know our current time period and so these two storylines uh merge and uh hijinks ensue nice erica what are you reading
5: I am reading. Uh, I, I recently discovered that Seanan Maguire has actually another Two yeah novellas in yeah. the Wayward Children series. I
2: heard that she had a new one, and I looked, and it turns out she had two new ones. <laughs> yep.
5: So I have I have started reading Wayward Children number six. I will move on to number seven uh, once I finished it. So I'm like about halfway through. It's called Across the Green Grass Fields, mm-hmm. and I am loving it. Um, I've I've liked all of them. Some of them I have connected with more than others. This is one that I am definitely hardcore connecting with. It's a uh, the Wayward Children series oh, is such is a good one- series. Yeah, it's where like the idea is there are magical doors and sometimes children go through these doors, you know, think about the Wizard of Oz, that sort of thing. Uh, But then they come back and life ain't so easy once yep. you come back so the the very first novella Every Heart Doorway is about a school for these kinds of children uh, to, to sort of go and learn how to be in the world again and maybe hopefully find their door this book is uh, is actually kind of coming at it from from the angle that uh, your stereotypical books come at it you're, you're actually meeting a child when they are still on earth with their family mm. and the experience of them finding a door and I think that it's kind of neat that it took until books six, to actually get the sort of stereotypical version of this. And uh, it's it's a young girl who she's like 10 years old, I think, and she really, really loves horses. And she ends up in a world where there are centaurs and unicorns. And I haven't finished it, so I don't know for sure if I will end up loving it. But I am... I'm in love with it so far, and it's ah, uh, it's just really delightful. So I'm I'm gonna read that, and then right. the next one I read will probably be Wayward Children number seven, which I don't remember the name of off the top of my head. Uh, but I also then will very briefly mention that I recently finished uh, City of Stairs by Robert Jackson mm. Bennett because you guys mm. recommended Yay. it to me, and Ooh. I enjoyed it. And I have actually, um, I hadn't gone on to the next book yet because I enjoyed it, but I didn't like super, super enjoy it, but I just listened to episode 600 of The Incomparable. Oh, yes. and Yeah, and heard you guys talking about how great the other books in the series were, and I was like, you know what? I should probably then, uh, I should continue. Yeah. So I love I hope-
2: that book, but it does, it's like Dan was it's, saying,
4: it it's the least better. good of the three. And I love <laughs> it. Which is weird. It's like, I like that book a lot, but then I kept reading, and I was mm-hmm. like, wow, these other books are way better.
5: That's yeah, funny. and, and I, honestly, if I hadn't listened to you say those words, Dan, I'm not sure that I would have actually gone on and, and Read any farther, but as it stands now, I have already placed a hold on City of Blades. Excellent. So Great. as soon as that comes through on my co so I'm jumping to that next.
2: More people need to read those books. I guess we're doing our part by telling people they need to read those it, books. Thank
5: you. I You're salute welcome.
2: you. you know, Dan and Scott yep. told me, and then we all told Erica, and now Erica's <laughs> telling everybody out there. And you just, mm-hmm. when, when are you going to believe us?
0: When?
5: <laughs> Get with the program, folks. Yeah, but that's it for me.
0: Okay. Glenn,
2: anything to recommend?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm kind of a weirdo, so I've been reading type-related books. So I recently read Palatino, a history of the typeface style of Palatino, surprisingly in-depth. And also Index, a history of the, which is a pretty cute book by a guy I know about, the history of the Index. Very, very entertaining stories. Um, but uh, I was thinking about detective novels because I noticed Michael uh, Chabon mentioned on Twitter, he said something about uh, the Glass Key, a Dashiell Hammett novel. I mm. seem to be totally unaware of it. I'm like, what yeah, is I've this? Yeah, I read that one. Yeah, so I got the the complete novels, remembering that he's only written he only wrote four complete novels, yeah. impossibly, and uh, read the the four as Red Harvest, The Dane Curse, the or oh, sorry five, uh, the Maltese Falcon, uh, the Glass Key, and the Thin Man, and was like, man, this this Dashiell Hammett, pretty good writer. Uh, but the Glass <laughs> Key is right. one of the strangest. Right. I would say if I hadn't read that. Uh, I think The Witness for the Dead and The Glass Key actually have a lot in common. You have this sort of person, troubled person, wandering around. It's very a meditative thing. People are dying left and right. Things sort of happen, but it's almost dreamlike. And anyway, if you haven't read all of Dashiell Hammett's works, like apparently I hadn't, um, that's what I read, and I enjoyed going through his oeuvre. Nice. Dan? Uh,
4: I got a few. Uh, I'll start off with, um, I think I've mentioned this before, but... um um i read the second book in a trilogy ah, uh what's the thing we're doing but um, you're the listing it rook... first I interesting am because I, <laughs> I, a, I read it most recently <laughs> okay um the liar's not which is the second book in the rook and rose series which i think i've recommended elsewhere um which is by m.a carrick uh, who is two people uh, jointly mm. writing. Um, it's really good fantasy. It kind of reminds me a little bit, I think I've said this, of Scott Lynch. It's set in kind of a Renaissance-ish style world. Uh, there's magic. Um, there are uh, sort of variety of political intrigues going on within this city. Uh, the main character is a con woman uh, who is basically trying to trick her way into the nobility Uh, And ends up getting more than she bargains for in sort of the first book um, by basically realizing that tricking her way into a family, she has somehow become subject to this curse that's on this family. Uh, Not great. So uh, there's a lot of sort of fun stuff, uh, swashbuckling adventure, a lot of romance, some sort of mystical and magical elements that happen as well. They are long books, but they are they're good like if you like like a big hefty fantasy tome and they're fun like that's the thing I would say is most of all is like they are really entertaining rip rip and reads and you will even though they are many hundred pages you will just be flipping them as you go because they are uh, incredibly engrossing. so I hmm. highly recommend both of those uh, and I believe the third one has already been at least delivered and, and should be out sometime this year maybe late this year um so yeah uh, i will say those get a wholehearted recommendation for me they're they're really great uh i'll also add a book that is coming out which i got to read early called breaking day uh by an author named adam oyebanji uh it's set on a generation ship uh one of three that's escaped uh earth which has been basically now ruled by ai um, and they're heading off to like, you know, start a new planet. Uh, and it's almost time for them to hit like the point where they the ships have to start breaking and like slowing down to make their approach. And we have our main character who is an engineer in training named Ravi. And as he's on inspection one day, he sees a woman floating outside in space with no helmet on. <laughs> and nobody else can see her uh so it starts off with sort of a a pretty big sort of intriguing moment like what the heck is going on and there's a mystery that unfolds uh as he sort of starts investigating these visions he seems to be having along with like again sort of politics and factions on the ship some people aren't as thrilled about this idea of going to a new planet um and he's got like it it delves into sort of the social strata within the ship and all the different like class struggles of the families um and it's it's fun it's a good read it's it's got a great mystery to it i really it really kept me guessing the world of these generation ships is really well like sort of flushed out there's like a lot of of culture that's happening like that's come up uh you know all these people are people who have been on the ship the entire life right so they They don't have any context for anything else. Um, And so they really, he does a nice job of explaining sort of like, what is it like living on these things? So uh, that was a pretty good read. I I really enjoyed that. Uh, And then last of all, a book that I believe Jason read, and that's why I started reading it. Uh, And I'm on the second one in the series, The Steerswoman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. what a what a weird, interesting book. Uh, <laughs> I, I just really, I went into it having heard you talk about it, I think, Jason, and been yep. like, this sounds intriguing. I'll read this. And I read it. It was not what I expected. And yet I still enjoyed it. And enough so that I picked up the second one, which I'm almost done with at this point. Um, but these books are from like late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. They're kind of a weird fi- fantasy sci-fi yeah. mashup. They're fantasy novels that are
2: kind of secretly sci-fi
4: novels but you have to Ooh. kind of watch for the clues yes yes i'm try- that's the fun part is trying to figure out sometimes yeah. when things happen you're like wait a second because what it doesn't what do is, is exactly happening here? what it doesn't do
2: is say and and then there was a robot instead it will it be like a strange i mean this is i'm making this up but there's maybe not robots and it. it's unclear uh but it's like a strange man but his face was was reflective as if made from a metal and
4: you're like Is that a robot that she's describing there? there? And there's a lot of stuff where you can't figure out, like, is this a real thing? Or is is this some sort of weird sci-fi thing that is being interpreted through the lens of somebody who doesn't understand technology? Yeah, Yeah. uh, yeah. It's very clever.
2: There there are four of those books she... She's continuing to write them, but what happened, basically, she got dropped by her publisher. She got the rights back. She republished them all herself, so you can get them all as eBooks. and she's continuing to write the series, and I've read all four now, and they're great.
5: Interesting. I've I've heard you talk about them. Now I've heard Dan talk about them. I've also (laughs) seen many people tweet about them, so I feel like I will be following suit one of these days. Yeah. Yeah, It's just... I really did not know what to expect,
4: but they are fun. They are fun. I like, I enjoy the whole conceit of the main character who is essentially a part of an order where they Mm -hmm. ask people questions. (laughs) A
2: little bit like (laughs) Like a witness for the dead. This is not quite the
4: same, but it's similar and they're compelled. They're
2: compelled to ask people questions and answer questions.
4: And if you don't answer their questions, you're banned. It's not good good for you. No soup for you. So yeah, I I, I'm enjoying it. I will I will probably keep reading those because I don't have anything else sort of like perking up my uh, my to read list right now.
2: They're fun. They're fun, and I think they get increasingly like as so often happens. I think as a writer writes their third novel and their fourth novel, and she's living in this series like. It, they get increasingly complex in a good way. Yeah. I, think, I think they get better the, as they go, but the also they're second, very
4: they're very different. Like there's the one yeah, that's the kind of- the second book is all like set amongst the tribes, the outskirter yeah. tribes. And you're like, this is like 180 degrees yeah. from where I was in the first book. Yeah, well, Dan, they're, they're, they go to a place in the fourth book that you're like,
2: I cannot believe what is happening now because it's not like nothing before. Like, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in those books. My Rosemary goodness. Kirstein.
5: I yeah. just I just bought it. Uh three dollars and thirty nine cents oh, yeah. Canadian on Kobo. So yeah, what go. a bargain.
2: Yeah, they're they're she's selling them herself, so there's no uh, no middleman, so cheap.
5: Mm-hmm. And they're
2: they're totally worth it. Thank you, Dan. No problem. Uh I have four that I'm gonna mention. Um A Master Gin by P. J. Lee Clark. Ah, I like that one. Good. good. Book uh set in the tra- haunting of tram car number whatever universe where the there's magic uh, in Egypt, and Egypt has become a power in the early 20th century because of uh, some spells that that free, freed magic up, and the djinn, the djinn are building buildings in in, in Cairo. And, um, and this book is basically the guy who started it all, comes back from the dead and kills a bunch of people, and people <laughs> are like, whoa, what's going on? And a detective who is the first full-fledged woman detective in the magic office and she wears Western suits and she's pretty cool. And (laughs) she's like, I don't believe it. I think this is all a scam by somebody who's committed murder and I'm going to figure it out. And friend, that's what the book's about. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Solving a magical (laughs) mystery. And there's lots of nonsense that goes along, along the way. And it's good. Um, Naomi Novik's The Last Graduate, the second book in the Scholomance series. Um, I loved it. I loved it as much as the first one. I can't wait for the third one. The Scholomance series is essentially... Imagine if they built Hogwarts. But what happens is every year they just shovel a bunch of kids in and lock the doors and they stay in there until they graduate. It's but, like Hogwarts on a hellmouth. But by the time they graduate, <laughs> most of them are dead because inside the school, the school is trying to kill them all. <laughs> That's the scalamance <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and in this book they try to finally outwit the scalamance and uh and escape and um it turns out it doesn't go the way that you think that because like Harry Potter, it's sort of like, we're going to tell you the story of this year. And you're like, okay, I, I read the first book. I know what's going to happen in year two. And that doesn't happen in year two. It's quite shocking that it doesn't happen. Instead, different things happen. Uh Such a good series. Naomi Novick. Good job. Love it. Um, the shattered skies is the sequel uh, to John Birmingham's. Uh, mm. Oh, uh, the uh, cruel stars, cruel stars, yeah. cruel stars, wide, uh, screen space opera lots of explosions lots of kind of fun characters um uh, this book is uh i didn't like it as much as the cruel stars but i appreciated some of the things that he tries with it including um the in the first book basically there's the old crusty old man on the sand planet who's uh, investigating the uh, last relic of the great war against the space nazis that were won by the the, the the anti-fascist type people, so to speak. Um, and he, he, he everybody else thinks he's like a, a lunatic because we beat the space Nazis and they're never coming back. And he's like, oh, they're going to come back. And when they do, I'm going to be the guy who knows all about them. And guess what happens in that book? Uh, they come back and he's the guy <laughs> who knows all about them. So in The Shattered Skies, we get to spend some time with the space Nazis. And, oh, great. And it's actually really interesting <laughs> nice. because because they're terrible and yet... Also, sort of in the spirit of of uh, the Texcalon books, um, the the non space Nazi st- star empires, they're not so great either. And like he's he's also poking and prodding while well, things are exploding. He's al- also poking and prodding a little bit at some of the preconceptions of it. Um, I, I don't think the space Nazis are as interesting, and I think it slows the book down. But I, I actually, it's more of the same of the first book, and they're fun. They're not. I would say. I think John Birmingham himself would say they they're not necessarily the kind of book that you you ponder deeply and write a thesis about they're more the kind of book that you open a bottle of wine while you're on a plane and you read them and things explode and it's fun that's about right that's nothing wrong with that you, you Good stuff. you take
3: some fancy plane rides bring in open a bottle
2: of w- yeah. John bottle of does, wine. but he's in Australia, I think they have wine on planes uh, and well they have to they have to fly like 10 15 hours just to get anywhere so they oh, serve them wine true. to knock them out you just that's bring your do. own bottle of wine i was imagining that's yeah <laughs> oh no the corkage fees for bringing your own bottle of wine on a plane <laughs> man Woo! um and finally i started reading the merchant princess series by charles strauss oh boy i've
4: read like six of them i think i wow. gave up around four i can't stop well maybe <laughs> i don't know i can't i can't stop i gave up jason for reasons <laughs> I can't <laughs>
2: stop they're well, okay, maybe I've only read five of them,
5: oh, that's all okay uh, well, I don't ahead. know who, who i among i us has not
3: read
2: five
5: i of them.
2: i I think that they're they're fun and they're fast reads, and they they are wild because it's people jumping from parallel universe to parallel universe, and the story is that there's like our universe and then there's one that's parallel to it that's like a medieval society, but um and they've been secretly like
4: making money smuggling drugs uh, in their it's a, it's an incredibly clever conceit like i lo- i loved the premise of this and then, of this book
2: and then it turns out there's another p- parallel yeah. and then it turns out there's another parallel <laughs> <laughs> yeah that i think i think i just got a little
4: worn out after
2: a while <laughs> but, there's a, but there's an but there's an alt boston in the third parallel dan and it's actually oh, yeah. a, it ruled by a cruel king of america Uh, Anyway, uh, they're fun. Uh, And the idea there is that there's a woman who's a tech journalist and she discovers she's actually secretly the heir to a throne of a medieval country and can jump from parallels to parallels. And believe me, you don't want to be an heir to the throne of that country because it's awful and they're awful people. Uh, I love love it. So I'm just going to keep reading them until I guess I grow tired of them. But there are apparently a zillion of them. So Merchant Princess, start with a family trade. I think you can get that as an inexpensive omnibus edition. You can buy two at once for for cheap. So check it out. And that's it. That's it. We did it, everybody. Let us forget Ooh. everything that we've said about these books. We've forgotten yes. Done. We'll until me. the right. next time.
3: Well, we will never speak of this again
2: until they're nominated for awards and we have to recap oh, what we did in this episode. Speak of this again. That's the downside. All right, let me thank my panel for being here. Glenn Fleischmann, thank you for being here. Uh, a nice visitor to the book club. It's good
0: to hear from you. Thanks. Thank you. And look, I didn't ruin it somehow. Somehow. No, we'll let yet. the
4: listeners judge. Dan Warren, thank you for being here. Uh, it was a pleasure to remember books that I'd forgotten. Yeah, it's isn't it always? Erica Ensign, thank you
5: it was it was nice to be here I suggested this episode yeah. uh, halfway through reading one of the books and then determined I didn't love it but I'm still <laughs> glad I was here
2: well I forgot that you suggested it so you could have gotten away with it oh it's oh. a theme and Scott McNulty thank you thank you for having me Jason and thanks to everybody out there for listening we hope we have again prompted you to uh, know that you are going to read that book or maybe think hmm, maybe I won't read that book either way it's fine and uh, we will see you next week goodbye